Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, rugby fans. Welcome to episode 154 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. I'm your host. Got a really good show today. Great conversation with Adam Hughes, author of This Is Rugby, coming up in a little bit. But before we get to the interview portion of the show, we have some business to take care of. We're going to start the show off with the breakdown. And the breakdown is brought to you by O'Neill's. O'Neill's is the official sportswear supplier to the biggest teams in world rugby, Infinity Park, and the American Raptors. Shop apparel now at O'Neill's.com. That's O-N-E-I-L-L-S.com. So only one piece of news here in the breakdown. It's not really anything news, but uh, talking about the American Raptors, I talked a little bit about it last week, but I wanted to mention it again that this team is gigantic. Went out to training on Tuesday, and the team looks like a small army. Um, I think I said there was 45 guys when I talked to somebody yesterday. I'm recording this on Thursday. Talked to somebody on Wednesday. They said they're up to 47. That's a huge team. Um, some established experienced rugby players, a lot of guys just learning the game, which is, you know, the entire point of this program. A lot of guys I'm excited about seeing, and we'll get our first look at them in real life, uh, live in action next weekend at Aspen Ruggerfest. I'm going up there, and I'm excited to go up there, and I'm excited to see how they do. Last year, the Raptors lost in the final to the gentlemen of Aspen. Um, I think it was by one score. Aspen always has a really good team. Um, they always bring in some heavy hitters, so it's good experience for the Raptors. Uh, this is like the best place to really get your feet wet if this is the first time you ever played rugby. Um, you have a couple, you know, the, the pool play matches are a little bit shorter than regular rugby matches, so um, it's a good taste of what rugby's like. And then, of course, the final, always competitive. That's your standard 80-minute match, so I'm excited for it. Can't wait to get up there. It's been hotter than... Uh, hell here in Denver so I'm looking forward to get up to the mountains get to some cooler weather no better place to be in the fall than Aspen Colorado see the the leaves changing and stuff it's going to be fun watch some good rugby um, we'll be taking my recorder and stuff so hopefully we get some interviews and I'm looking forward to it should be a good weekend we'll talk a little bit more about that next week of course as we get closer uh, but that kind of does it for the breakdown I don't really have anything else I saw some MLR news uh, Rugby United New York is going to get a new coach. Rugby New York, excuse me, I forgot they changed their name. Uh, they moved on from their head coach as, as he's kind of got another coaching opportunity. Um, so there's some shuffling in MLR. And, of course, MLR is something we got to keep our eye on as we get a little bit closer to the season. 
uh, what's going on with the Gills and um, L.A., Austin, all that good stuff. Um, I, I do know a little interesting tidbit uh, that has to do with Austin and the Raptors, I guess, kind of. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when that becomes a little more public. I'll just say that. Let's go ahead and move into all the rugby you could watch this weekend. All the rugby you could watch this weekend is brought to you by Wintergreen. Wintergreen loves rugby and wants to support USA Rugby's mission for uniting an inclusive, passionate rugby community to grow the sport of rugby in America. Wintergreen gels, cream, soaks, and sprays are made with wintergreen oil and other therapeutic natural oils that help to soothe and support sore muscles and joints to keep you at your best. Visit wintergreensports.com to purchase the products you need to help you prepare to win. So we've got the Rugby World Cup 7s that's going on right now. Uh, it starts on Friday early in the morning. USA women play first. They're on Friday at 4.33 a.m. Mountain Time, and then USA men play on Friday at 7.39 a.m. Mountain Time. You can catch those matches on Peacock, and then I think it switches back and forth between like NBC and CNBC throughout the rest of the weekend. Not entirely sure, um, but I know you can watch the first one on Peacock, so tune in for that bright and early Friday morning. We've got the Bunnings NPC all weekend, uh, catch that in Flow Rugby. We've got the Farrell Palmer Cup finals weekend. Again, that's on Flow Rugby as well. Uh, Premiership round one gets rolling this weekend. I think it gets started today on Thursday, actually. Um, but the rest of it finishes up this weekend. You can watch that on Peacock. Then we got the top 14 round two of that competition on Flow Rugby as well. Uh, so a lot of good rugby. You got the NFL starting this weekend, of course. Um, getting into college football season. So you got plenty of stuff to watch. So make sure you squeeze a little rugby in, you know, before you uh, get too footballed out. Let's go and jump on the interview portion of the show. Uh, this interview with This Is Rugby author Adam Hughes is brought to you by Guard Lab. Join the mouthguard revolution with American-made mouthguards that perform, protect, and recover. For more information, visit guardlab.com. Had a really, really, really awesome conversation with author Adam Hughes about his new book, This Is Rugby, that came out a few weeks ago. Um, I talked about it on last week's show. Hint, hint, it's going to be required reading again. Uh, but I, I, if you're into rugby at all, highly, highly recommend you buy this book. Um, it's good to talk to Adam. Again, we had him on back in March. I, I mentioned in the interview, but I think it's, it was very literally six months to the day last time I spoke with him on the podcast. Uh, so as you can imagine, a lot has changed in those six months. He's accomplished a lot of work, um, put a book out, you know, went from kind of an idea to something that's real. You can buy it and you can hold it. And you can read it, of course. So uh, really enjoyed the conversation with Adam. We get into a bunch of different stuff, um, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So with that introduction, let's go ahead and kick it to my conversation with This Is Rugby author Adam Hughes. All right, very pleased to be joined again on the podcast by friend of the program, Adam Hughes, author of This Is Rugby. Adam, how's it going, man? Hey, it's great. Thanks so much for having me on, Colton. I, I love being on the first time, love being on again. Perfect. That's um, that's music to my ears, Adam. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Happy to have you back on. Talk about uh, uh, your your book. It's out. So I was going through my notes, Adam, and I think I spoke with you almost six months ago to the date. It was, oh, nice. I, nice. I, you're usually in my notebook. You know, I, I put you know dates next to the interviews I have. Um, yeah. And I didn't put one next to your name, but the next note I have in there is is March 10th. So it has to be like right around, you know, within the day or two of six months to the date. Uh, so yeah, so that sounds about right. a lot has happened for you in six months. Please tell me what these last six months have been like for you. Yeah, they've been um, crazy. You know, I, I don't remember 
when we talked last, how many people I talked to, um, but it ended up being over 500 uh, clubs and individuals and organizations that I talked to for this book. Uh, and so it was sort of a whirlwind of getting all of that sorted and, and um, the writing done and sort of figuring out where to, where to get in and how to organize all of this data and, um, you know, just kind of get it all written and put together and then published. And that's been, uh, where we, to where we are today. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite a lot. That's a lot. That's you summed yeah. it up very quickly. I'm looking at the timer here. That was only, you know, 30 seconds, but that's a lot in a six month time span. So it was, you... it was definitely more than 30 seconds worth of, <laughs> of, of work. Yeah. I believe you. I believe you. Uh, so, Adam, if you could kind of refresh, you know, our memories, jog our memories, yeah. if you mo- if you will. So, can you kind of take us through the timeline of when you got this idea, when you started the interview process, you know, to reaching out to people, um, and when you started writing? I think that's a good spot, and then we can kind of pick and choose where to, you know, expand from there. Sure, sure. So, the idea had been rolling around in my mind for a couple of years. Uh, when I started playing rugby, I, I shared this last time I was on, mm-hmm. I came to the game pretty late in life. I was in my mid thirties, uh, and skinny had, had never done anything like this before. And it was kind of a, a leap into the unknown. And I had the idea when I started it of, you know, this would be something that I could write about. Uh, and so, you know, I, I kind of wrote about my own journey and, and as I got into the sport and as I fell in love with the game and, and the culture, I was like, you know, I feel like this is a story that, that needs to be told. And so that was a a few years ago. And then I did what I do best, which is, I just kind of put it off and, and thought about it a lot and, and never actually took any concrete steps until, um, about, Almost a year ago, I think it was like last November, I was up one night and and was like, you know, I really want to do this. And so the only way that I could make sure that I did it was to kind of force my own hand. And so I sat down and I just started firing off messages and emails and, and uh, DMs to rugby clubs all over the country. Mm-hmm. And and I think in like the span of two nights, I sent out like 200. Uh, and, and once they started rolling in, I was like, all right, this is what I want. I've got to do it now. Right now that other people are beginning to, to be invested. Now that other people are beginning to play a role in this, I, I have to do it. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the impetus that I needed. And so uh, once, once clubs started responding, I, I, kept sending out more messages to different people and, and other doors opened until, you know, they, they started rolling in and I had all this information. And so about probably three months ago is when I was like, you know what, I have to now take the next step. Like I could, I could do those interviews forever. Right. Uh, as you know, from, from doing this and talking <laughs> yes. to rugby people, right. You can talk to rugby people forever and get so much data, so much information, so many stories, and I was like, at some point, I have to, I have to just start writing. Yeah. Uh, and so probably three months ago or so, I really sat down to, to really buckle down. It was probably longer than that because I, I had, kind of a, a false start there, uh, where I, 
kind of got overwhelmed and stuck in the writing and took about a month off uh, where I just kind of couldn't bring myself to do anything with yeah, it. I get those I get uh, in those moods too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, I, I don't know where to go from here. And so once I, I got over that, the writing really took off. Um, that was probably about three months ago is when the writing took off uh, and was able to, to kind of get this crank out and, and into people's hands. Yeah. So I've got a couple of questions off of that. So I guess kind of Please, going yeah. back, I'll start off where we just left off. So when you, when you really buckle down, when it gets to the nitty gritty of writing, like what's a standard day of writing look like for you when you're, you know, in the middle of this thing, trying to get this thing done? Yeah. So fortunately I, I'm a college professor. Yeah. So I, I had, I had the summer to really, really buckle down um, and write for, for several hours a day. Uh, and so I, I sort of sat at my desk in my living room uh, with, you know, sits in the window and I had was surrounded by about eight or nine legal pads full of, of all these interviews. And I'd pull up, um, you know, all of my, my email threads or my DM threads or any of those Facebook messages. Uh, and the way I went about it was, I sort of would pick and choose which stories spoke to me that day. Uh And, and I would, I would hone in and write that section. Uh, I didn't write it in a linear way. Um, so it wasn't like I sat down and wrote page one and then I wrote page 300 and whatever at the end. Uh, I, I really sort of cobbled it together. Like this day, you know, I would want to write about the, El Paso rugby club and I'd write that section and then I'd go on and the next section might be, um, Fayetteville area rugby in North Carolina. And that'd be the next section. And, and then, you know, I'd write about something in Denver. And, and so I would kind of weave it that way and then could assemble the pieces later on. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, and then another weird question, did you take any pictures of your workspace? Because I have the, this weird thing about me and I've learned this, over the last couple of years or so is like, I'm fascinated by people's workspaces, like especially creative yeah. people that do stuff like this. One of my favorite articles ever um, is by Wright Thompson. Are, are you familiar with him at all? He's a big, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah long form sports writer for ESPN. And one of his, he's, there's something that he wrote. It's called where Wright Thompson writes. And it's literally just a piece. It's probably 500 words about his workspace. And he takes you through every little, he takes a picture of his desk I love that. and it's like, Oh, this picture on the wall is where Michael Jordan explained the triangle offense to me. Like this is his drawing of the triangle offense. Yeah. This brick is from my favorite pizza place in Missouri. And and I'm yeah. just fascinated by that stuff. So I would love to see that uh, you know. Yeah, I did. Mine's not nearly as cool. Um, <laughs> That's but okay yeah. though. That's yeah. all right. Mine's not either. I yeah. I try to like whenever, you know, my desk at home where I do a lot of my work, I try to, you know, hang meaningful stuff around it like that to kind of give me inspiration. But I'm fascinated by that stuff. Weird little yeah, thing definitely. about me, but I, but I wanted to make. I sure. love that. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, please send me a picture. I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I will. I'll blast it out there. Put it in the in the article that has this podcast as well. Um, yeah, so gladly. Back, back to your book. Sorry to to stray away there for a minute. Here. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so uh, I know you talked a little bit about stopping the interviews. Like, how do you decide when enough is enough, and how hard is that to you know say like, okay, I'm I gotta stop talking to people about this. I have to stop you know, uh, gathering stuff and I need to just actually get it done. Yeah. That was really hard. Um, 
and and I kind of it, it happened where you know the momentum kind of slowed down. I talked to so many people, um, but there was always you know this from from having conversations with the rugby people. Like there's always connections that we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, like oh you've got to talk to so and so. Oh have you talked to this person? And most of the time. I had, um, but there were still those times where, you know, it was a new name popping up yeah. and I could have chased those trails forever. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was I made a list early on in the process of like absolute must have interviews, mm-hmm. um, or, and then like sort of dream interviews. Right. And, and as this progress, as this process went on, I started kind of checking those off and I would sort of add to them and then I would um, continue going through. And so I got to where, you know, a lot of my must haves were done uh, and, and a lot of my like dream ones were done. You yeah. know, one of those dream ones was Nate Ebner, uh-huh. uh, you know, from, from the sevens program who played for the new England Patriots. Yeah. It was an Ohio state guy, which is where I'm from central Ohio. And so he was, you know, high on my list from day one. I ended up being able to talk to him. Um, there were certain clubs that their stories were really captivating to me and I wanted to include them. Uh, one was Boston Maccabee, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a Jewish, predominantly Jewish club in Boston. And so there were those, as those began to, to come off the list, uh, it became easier to kind of begin to pivot toward the writing. Uh, you know, and, and there were clubs like Boston, Boston Maccabee. They, I got to talk to them like maybe a month before I stopped the writing. Um, so I had already pivoted to the writing, but there were still a couple clubs that I really wanted to, to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was River City RFC in Iowa was one of those. Um, and so it just, just kind of wound down mostly on its own. Uh, but then there were some times where I had to, to be like, you know what, I, I've got to focus on writing right now and not interviewing. And so one of my ways to sort of ease my own mind about that was in starting a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's called Late to the Breakdown. And that's sort of been a companion to the book, right? The, yeah. the focus is the same. It's on the stories and the culture. And so that's been a way to kind of ease my mind of, you know, I can say, you know what, I, I didn't get this club in the book, but I can talk to them for 45 minutes and put them on the podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good way to do it, too. I like that. That's a good shift. And that was going to kind of lead in my next question, um, and you kind of just answered it. As I'm sure, like, there had to be stuff that doesn't make the cut, right? Like, how, yeah. how did you go about deciding this really needs to be in or, you know, it really sucks to have to do this, but I, I'm going to have to leave this one out? Is that... Yeah. What you've kind of done with the podcast, is that how that's kind of come about then? Yeah, that was a way to kind of um, make some of those decisions a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still really hard. Like there's, you know, as you know, when you when you get into something like this, you they're not just passive interview subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, like you become friends right. uh, and there's, there's connections there. And sometimes the story... Uh, just doesn't rise to the level that I needed it to, or it was a story that was, you know, fairly common and, and covered by other clubs. Yeah. And so there were, there were situations where I just couldn't get that club into the book as much as I wanted to. 
and so, you know, that was a really difficult thing and it still is, you know, when, when someone is like, Hey, I'd, I'd love to, would love to buy the book. And I have to be like, I'd love for you to buy it. And I still want you to, but I just want you to know your club isn't in there. Yeah. Uh, or a club would ask me, Hey, are we in the book? Um, and I'd have to be like, no, no, you're not. Yeah. Uh, and that was tough. That was tough. Uh, there was a Denver area club who I, I had a great conversation with, uh, and just wasn't able to find the space or the narrative to get them in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, that was tough. Cause he, you know, asked, Hey, are we in there? And I'm like, you know, you're not, I'm sorry. Um, and he was understanding and, and, and saw where, where that was coming from, but it was still, it's still a tough conversation to have still a tough decision to make as, as a writer. Yeah, definitely. But that's something you have to do, right? You can't just have the, yeah. you can't just have a, a, a 3000 page book. <laughs> exactly. That kind of covers the same thing over and over, you know, just for yep. readability and, and freshness and all that stuff. So I totally get it. I mean, I've never written a book, but I've definitely written some stuff where, you talk to a lot of people, and like you said, a lot of the same stuff's covered. Sometimes somebody says it in a little bit easier way to understand, or yep. you know, it just resonates a little bit differently. And you got to make the tough choice, but you have to do it, man. So uh, I know that that's probably hard, but um, the the stuff that I've read from the book, I of course bought a copy uh, right when it came out, and uh, and it's been nice for me to read. I talked a little bit about it on the podcast last week. Is I like books like this where I don't necessarily have to sit it down, sit down read it from cover to cover, yeah. but it's, it's bite-sized, right? So when I get the itch yep. and I, I, my next question is going to be about how you organized it, but I do like going in. And, and so I of course read the stuff about, you know, the Raptors and Denver first, yep. because that means more to me. And then from there I can branch out, you know, maybe I'm on a trip to Texas or something and I can pick up your book and be like, all right, let's read about all this rugby in Texas. I think that Absolutely. the way you broke it down is so interesting in a way I never would have even thought to. So how'd you kind of come up with that idea? Uh, so that sort of relates to that break that I talked about having to take. Um, so when I originally conceived, so I, I, I was doing all this information without really giving any thought to how I was going to organize it. And eventually, and I think I was still at this point when we spoke last. Yeah. And that you, was, I was going to organize by rugby values. Yes. I think that's what you uh, said. You, you were saying that you were kind of like weighing different things and, and yep. that's kind of like w- the way you were leaning. Yeah, I was leaning toward rugby values. I had started the writing um, based around those values, and I was finding I was getting bogged down. Uh, there were stories that didn't fit neatly where I needed them to fit. There were stories that fit in multiple. There were stories that I, I couldn't I – was, I was trying to shoehorn a lot of things into a lot of places that it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was when I got really – um, kind of burnt out and, and discouraged. And so I, I took that break from writing, uh, not necessarily intentionally. I just couldn't really find the, the energy to get back into that. Uh, and so I had that, that about month layoff. And I remember when I was sharing a story somewhere else and, and it sounds really overly mystical, but I was like in bed one night mm-hmm. and I woke up and, I was like, geographically, I've got to do it like by, by like a rugby road trip. And I had to get out of bed 
and like get up and like get to my computer and write down <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking before I went back to sleep yeah. and lost it all. Totally. Cause I've had that happen uh, so many times I in writing. Too. Yeah. You wake up and you're like, what was that that I was thinking? Cause I thought it was brilliant at the time and, and I, it's gone like forever. Uh-huh. And so I had to get up and write it down. And so I ended up making the, the decision to organize it by geography because one of the things that I talk about at the end of the book um, is the fact that one of America's greatest strengths is our diversity and our um, geography, like our, our just sprawl. And, and that's one of the things that makes America so distinct. It gives us so many advantages, but it also creates a lot of, a lot of problems, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for a national organization, the geographic sprawl and the diversity of our geographies makes things kind of complicated. And so I wanted to celebrate that while also highlighting, um, you know, what, what makes us the same, but also what makes us different. So when we're talking about new England, what is it about new England that is unique in rugby to rugby in the deep South or rugby in the mountain West Mm -hmm. and, and, and what are in California, what are those, those regional idiosyncrasies that um, give rugby in those areas a unique flavor and then how do we tie all of those things together into something cohesive into something that can progress um not ignoring the the regional differences but embracing them and so that was really the the impetus for the structure of the book the structure goes through um each region of the united states and, and really celebrates and, and spends a lot of time dealing with those um, things that make it unique. Yeah. That's super interesting. Like I said, I never would have thought to organize a book like that. So when I opened it up for the first time and I was, you know, looking through what was in there, I was like, oh, this is a very, you know, this is a different way to do it. But I, I, the description you just gave is awesome. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, do you get a lot of your, your ideas when you're sleeping? Yeah, like when I'm sleeping or I'm in the shower yeah. or driving. Those three times, which are the three least convenient times to yeah, write things down. Definitely. <laughs> but that's like the big things for me is when I'm driving, I'm commuting, you know, my 40 minutes to work uh, or 40 minutes. I, I drive about 35 minutes to rugby practice and twice yeah. a week. And so those times are, are times when I can kind of uh, thoughts pop up or in the shower or when I'm, you know, in bed asleep. And those are the big creative times for me again, not the most convenient times, but I've, I've come to kind of expect that and embrace it. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I feel like I get the ideas at the exact three situations too. Yeah. I There's something about those moments, know, you know, where you're yeah. kind of mindful, but not right. totally like you're, you're kind of going through the motion yeah, in a lot of ways. Pilot a little bit. Yes. And yes. I, I listened to a podcast, I don't know, a couple of years ago, but this like hypnotist and he was talking <laughs> about, dreams and and, and there were, the guy asked a question about you know why do I get some of my best ideas when I'm sleeping or I'm about to fall asleep or I'm like about to wake up it's because yep. like in dreams right your your brain is like allowed to think without constraints so yep. like in a dream stuff that I think the example he used was like say right now if I just got up on this desk and I started dancing you know your conscious brain would be like this guy is so weird what is this guy doing <laughs> right but right. in your dream your brain's like oh you know, that's just normal to your brain. Like, there's no there's a different logic exactly. there. There's no constraints yeah. on your brain. And so as, as a result, you get a lot of your best ideas when you're sleeping. It's just a matter of 
how you, you know, bottle that up. How, like you said, uh, you keep a recorder by your bed, you take a notebook out and scribble it down. Do you get up and run to your computer? Uh, yeah. So that's super interesting. I said that I thought I would throw that in. I remember that vaguely. Um, yeah. My, my wife, you know, realized early on when we started dating and spending the night at each other's houses, like I, I remember there was a moment where I had had to get up in the middle of the night and write something down. Uh, and, and she woke up and just saw me kind of in the corner of the room, you know, <laughs> writing on a piece of paper is like, what in the hell are you doing? And I'm like, no, 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 this is normal for me. I promise. Um, I'm not like sketching you in your sleep. Yeah. Like you're like a, a serial killer. I'm, I, I'm actually writing something here. You can look, um, you know, and this is, she's gotten used to that now where she knows that that's kind of, kind of the process is things will occur to me and I, I've got to write them down right then or they they go away forever that's that's funny do you i'm sure there's got to be stuff where you look back and you're like what is this idea oh yeah i mean i I thought this was brilliant (laughs) and it's it turns out it's garbage there's an there's an i don't know if you're a fan of the the show seinfeld oh yeah um but there's an episode of seinfeld that's based around that where jerry (laughs) wakes up in the night writes something down and goes back to sleep and he thinks it's the funniest thing ever in his sleep yeah and he wakes up and he can't he can't decipher what he wrote. And so he's like asking everybody and right. it, it's, it ends up, he finally figures out at the end of the episode and it wasn't funny at all. Right. Um, it was like from some TV show he'd been watching or some movie he'd been watching. And so, yeah, I have those moments where I'm like, man, this is brilliant. And then like in the, the cold light of day, I'm like, like uh, no, this is definitely not something. I, I never thought of this. Yeah. We'll just exactly. This, this is definitely not something we'll move forward. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You can't win them all. Yeah. Okay, so back to the book, Adam. Uh, what was the hardest part of this project? Ah, the the organization. You know, taking this massive amount of data, the this huge amount of stories, and putting it into something that's readable and cohesive and coherent, and that people will find some sort of value in. Mm-hmm. Because you know, all of our lives are organized by story. Like that's how we live our lives since we were, you know, primitive cavemen. We've, we've survived as a race and a, a, a humanity by telling stories. Mm-hmm. And so we're drawn to stories. And so how, how do you take rugby as an entity, as a, a social phenomenon and break it down into stories that will tell the greater story that I wanted to tell. And so finding that, that organization was really, really important because I didn't want something that was dry or academic, but I also didn't want something that was just like this unconnected series of vignettes. Right, like a bunch of filler, yeah. Exactly. And so I, I finding that that strain in that strand and keeping the narrative moving was really challenging um, because there were really good stories that were kind of outliers. And so how did you either how do I ever weave them in or not use them? And so that, that whole process was really, really challenging. Uh, and, and to this day it is like, I'm still like, man, I wish I had gotten this in there or, yeah. you know, I don't, I, does that really fit there? Like I'm still doing that editing even now that the book yeah. is out, uh, which I think is a, it comes with the territory of being a writer, yeah. but it's that second guessing or that, that whole process was, was really challenging and um, I don't know that I, I hit it perfectly. I, I know I didn't hit it perfectly, um, but I'm, I'm happy with where it ended up. 
but that was definitely definitely the most challenging part was how do I take all of this and and make something uh, that's narratively satisfying out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you do you think that like because I think you did a great job, and and I know it's easy for Thank me you. to say I didn't do the work you did. Do you <laughs> think you have you ever walked away from something feeling like that? Like, man, I one hundred percent nailed that. There was nothing else I could have done to make that you know, better. Right. I feel like you, you will never think that, right. Just as no, I, I've never <laughs> thought that. And and I don't think I will, but it's, it's the same thing with, with playing a game of rugby. Right. Yeah. Uh, like at the end of a game, I may have a couple of highlights, not many, cause I'm not that good, but <laughs> you know, no matter, no matter what happens in the game that night, I'm thinking of the things that I messed up. Yeah. And, and I think that's partially human nature. That's partially personality. That's partially, um, I think what makes us good at, at our craft is we're never satisfied. Mm-hmm. And, and I think once you're satisfied, once you say, I nailed that perfectly, you might as well hang it up. Right. right? Because you're, you're not progressing. You're not growing. You're not, um, yeah. this is the thing I love about rugby is there's always something to work on. There's always something to, to master. And, and so I think writing's the same way for me. Like, no, I don't think I've ever been like, yep, this is great. I'm moving on. My wife is like, you know, you are way too hard on yourself. Um, but that's, that's kind of, I think it comes with the territory. Yeah. I would Um, agree. Uh, yeah. What, what was, I guess the, the counter to the question I just asked earlier, what, what, was there anything that was easier than you expected it to be? Like going into it, you probably, and I, I think I probably know your answer. So, uh, but but going into it, there had to be a few things that you were like, "Man, this is gonna be really, really hard. I'm really dreading this." And then you get there, and it's like, "Oh, that wasn't that bad." Is there anything like that 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 kind of happened throughout this process? Yeah, I think there's there's two things that I can isolate, and one of them was um, speaking to some of the like quote unquote heavy hitters yeah. of American rugby. That's what I thought uh, you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get kind of intimidated talking to, you know, someone out in your neck who was like Dan Lyle. Yeah. Um, or, or people who, you know, are, are well known in American rugby. I talked to Steven Thomason, who's going to be, you know, captaining the, the U S sevens at the world cup soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, or talking to Nia Tapper or, uh, people like that, where you're like, these are are huge people within American rugby. Todd Clever, who I was fortunate enough to talk to, and you get that that kind of um, hero worship, where you're right. kind of like, do I, I? I'm nervous about talking to this person, and then you know, just realizing the openness and the um, the team nature that is rugby culture. And so I realized early on people who are just big names in American rugby were like, no, I believe in this project. I want to, to be a part of it mm-hmm. and, and be a part of the team. And I was just absolutely blown away by, you know, the fact that it, it wasn't about me or anything that I did. Uh, it was that people wanted to embrace this project because they wanted to embrace this sport and the message that we were sending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a huge surprise and relief. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't imagine another sport where, you know, I would talk to someone and, and they would give me a cell phone number to 
a hall of famer. You know, that, that doesn't happen anywhere outside of rugby. And that was just a huge takeaway from this. And I think the other one was sort of along those lines. Um, I was really surprised in a pleasant way with how the writing went once I got into it because it became really easy to tell the stories mm-hmm. uh, because they were, they were other people's stories, but it ended up, they kind of told themselves, right. Um, you know, I, I would read my interview with uh, someone in California. And when I went to do the writing, I was like, damn, this, this is writing itself. Like they gave me the story. And so eventually I, I was no longer the storyteller. Mm-hmm. I was just the conduit for other people's stories. Yeah. And that was a really cool uh, experience where, you know, you're maybe, I don't know, I guess maybe the closest I can think to is like, if you're a pilot mm-hmm. and you're, um, you know, teaching someone else how to fly the plane and then you sort of give them the controls and they do an even better job than, than you were doing. Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of it. Like I just kind of handed over the controls to other people to let them tell their story. And all I did was kind of assemble it then at the end of the day. Uh, and that was a, a surprise. Uh, and I thought it was really, really cool. That is awesome. And I feel like going back to my you know, college journalism days, that, that sounds like exactly where you want to be, right? Yeah. You, you want to be just, like you said, the conduit. You don't want to draw attention to yourself necessarily. Yeah. You just want to give voice a voice to the people that you know may not have a voice or amplify their voice in a way. Oh, that's yes. like where you want to be. Yeah, it, it was, it, it sort of happened naturally. And I, I sort of anchor my story in the midst of all that. Yeah. Um, at, at the beginning of the book to kind of, you know, set the, the table and then a little bit in, in my geographical section, I introduced, you know, my club, but the rest of it was just other people taking the ball and running with it and, and pointing to them in their story. And that's been, really rewarding to see that um and to see people celebrate that once they're the book came out and they're like hey look i'm in this book Mm -hmm. like that was really cool to to be a part of and um see people take ownership of that was great yeah i can only imagine that's awesome uh so adam what about this project are you most proud of um the fact that that this tells the authentic story of so many people whose story would never be known. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of that. Like, look, Todd Clever was great and I love having him in the book, but other people are going to know the Todd Clever story. Yeah. Um, you know, but I loved telling the story of, you know, Kenai river wolf pack on, on the Kenai peninsula in Alaska. Uh, or, you know, those stories that, that just aren't out there a whole lot. Uh, I talked last time I was on about Tamaris Montano and indigenous warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, and those stories that, that need to be told, uh, and being able to kind of give voice to that, I think was really rewarding. And I'm really proud of, of being able to, to cover a lot of ground in this book, a lot of territory, both physically and emotionally. Uh, and so being able to, to cover a really wide range of stories and give voice to a really wide 
diverse range of, of experiences, I think has been something I'm really proud of with this book. Yeah, that's how you should be. Definitely. That's a good answer. Cause I feel like too, and I, you kind of started to mention it, but the, the Todd, you know, clever story is not going to, it's a great story, right? But that's not going to be yep. most people's rugby experiences, right? They're not going to be these Correct. superstar rugby players that go and play across the pond. Most people yep. that get into rugby are, you know, their, their story begins and ends with their local club. Right. So that, in that sense, yep. I feel like it resonates with a lot more people and it's good to shine light on that because that is, you know, the foundation of rugby in this country, right? That's, that's yep. where all the people are. That's where all the supporters are. That's why rugby, you know, is growing the way it is because of clubs like that. And, and I think it's important that those people, you know, get some love too. Yep. Yeah. I mean, 90, 95% of, of those of us who play rugby in America, we're never going to make a dime off of it. Right. Uh, and, and in a game like rugby where you're literally every time you step on the pitch, confronting catastrophic injury mm-hmm. uh you know that's just the reality of the sport and and so the question was always why do we do this yeah. you know why 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 are we out here you know i mean i've been asked that i'm sure you have by yeah. by people who don't play rugby why are you doing this i'm 40 years old and i'm still brittle and skinny why why are you still stepping out there and doing this thing that brings you no tangible reward. And, you know, I think being able to tell that story of here's why, like, here's my why, and here's the why of a lot of other people. Uh, that was, was something that I think is really important if we want to grow our sport, if we want to um, showcase our sport. Yeah. I mean, you can, the, the sevens team in the world cup, the women going to the World Cup, that's going to be a great showcase for our team, for our sport. Mm-hmm. Having the World Cup here in 10 years, that's a great showcase for our sport. But, you know, when when you have a new player come, come out to your team, one of the things that I learned early on, we a mistake we were making, is someone would come out and be like, okay, you're going to play flanker. Yeah. Go watch Richie McCall. Uh-huh. Okay, go, watch, go watch the All Blacks. Go watch Ireland. Go watch these things, and it'll show you what that position does. And it, it certainly does show you, but it doesn't show you in a way that that person can digest and emulate. Right. Because that person's not Richie McCall. Yeah. There's almost a 99.9% chance they're not going to be. Uh, you know, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle with one guy and he becomes really successful. But the vast majority of the new players, you can't show them that and they emulate it. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be another reason that they stick around. And, and that's the stories of the people in this book. Like they, they are there because they fall in love with the, the team, mm-hmm. with the community, with the culture. And, and that's a story that I think needs to be told just as much as the other stories need to be told. Mm-hmm. That's no, that's very eloquently put. I love that. That's a perfect answer. So uh, I guess we'll keep moving then with the, the next question about the book, Adam, is was some of the, the feedback that you've received? Um, I know you. I saw one of the things you posted is a very nice thing on Amazon, uh, but that's got to be pretty cool, yeah. right? I'm sure you've seen and you've heard from a lot of different people. I'm just curious, like, what has been some of the feedback you've received that's kind of stuck out to you? Uh, it's been really overwhelming, and um, I think the thing that has – blown me away more than anything. I did not expect this 
is hearing from multiple clubs who are like, we read your section about our club at practice last night, mm-hmm. like to the team. And I was like, wow, like I did not, oh, I did not like expect that. Elementary school kind of like, we're going to sit. Yeah. Down yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, in people saying, Hey, you told our story in a way that was accurate. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I talked to a club called the Albany bootleggers. Um, and they're in the book under the, the New York section or the, the mid Atlantic section. And they're a quote unquote outlaw rugby club. Uh, they, they don't play in the USA rugby system. They don't pay SIP. They don't pay dues. Mm-hmm. Um, they are completely sort of off the grid in terms of American rugby, uh, which used to be a pretty common tradition mm-hmm. and is now extremely rare. Uh, and so the, the bootleggers are one of those clubs and I told their story and, and Mike, their, their president, you know, texted me afterwards and he's like, you, you nailed the, the ethos that we have at this club. Um, and that was really important to me, yeah. you know, to, to do justice to the stories that I was entrusted with. And so hearing from clubs saying, yes, you, you got who we are, uh, that was really moving. Uh, and important to me because I, I wrote this book during COVID, right? I couldn't, and I also wrote it on a budget. Like I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't travel to all these teams that I really would have loved to and interview them in person and, and see their clubhouse or see their field or watch their practice. I couldn't do any of that. Um, I couldn't have done that even if we hadn't been in COVID. And so being, being told that the book captured the essence of the story or the club or the individual was really important and um, really rewarding to hear that, that it, it was correct and done right. That's all. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, that's what you want, right? That's it. Yeah. You know, when you, when you interview somebody and you write something and then they come back and be like, this is exactly what I was saying. Yep. That's, that's, that's where you want to be. So congrats. Yeah. That's there's no higher praise yes. at that point. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and so that, that was, that's been really meaningful in just hearing from people saying, you know, I bought, you know, four copies and I went to give it to other people or, you know, that's been, been really cool. Not, not because of the sales, mm-hmm. but because I want those stories to be told and to, to reach as wide an audience as possible. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, have you had a moment to kind of like soak it all in yet? Like, has it hit you? You've been sitting around and be like, dang, I actually did this. And it's been cool to see like all this stuff come in. Like, or has it just been kind of a whirlwind? Uh, it's been, you know, my, my personality is, is one to always be looking for the next project. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to kind of force myself at times to sit down and, you know, go over the texts and go over the emails and the messages I've received and kind of, uh, sit in those for a little bit mm-hmm. because my my gut instinct is to always be like okay what's next you know yeah. what what's what's the next project what's the next you know is rugby season what do we, what do we need to do as a club what do we need to you know we can't ever sit still right that yeah. that old adage that the shark can't sit still or it dies and so i think we have that mentality a lot of times as as americans and and especially as american men i think we're told that you can't just rest. You always have to be grinding and and going to the next thing. And so kind of having to 
make myself sit in that moment and enjoy it uh, because it, it, it was an accomplishment and it did take a lot of work. Uh, and, you know, being able to acknowledge that even just now saying it out loud to another human being, I'm like, <laughs> I don't like how that sounded. Like <laughs> that's, that, that's, that is sounded um, something that I feel like it shouldn't be, but it, it's still true. Yeah, it is uh, true. And, and something that can be acknowledged because, you know, I want someone else to take up the reins of this too. And, and, you know, my hope is that this book spawns a whole bunch of other people telling their stories or taking a, a section of what I wrote and, and digging deeper into it that I couldn't. And, you know, hopefully that continues on. Yeah. And so I think, you know, being able to acknowledge that, yeah, this was a big deal. This was a, a big project. This was a lot of work. Um, but it was also super rewarding. Hopefully it opens the door for other people to do the same thing. I think it will. Definitely think it will. Do you think that you will ever write another book now that you got one under your belt? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, that's, that's what I do as, as a living is I, I teach creative writing. Yeah. Um, and I've written books of poetry, but this is my first, like, not, there's definitely going to be more down the pike. I don't know what that looks like yet, but, um, hopefully there will be, you know, more to come. Yeah. Well, keep my eyes peeled, man. Uh, yeah, I got, I got, I a, couple, got a couple more before I let you go, Adam. So we'll make Please. it short and sweet. How much kit did you get from doing this? I'm sure you got a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. I got some, <laughs> some great, great shirts. Yes. Um, you know, some, um, and a lot of those were things that I wanted to purchase too, because I wanted to support yeah. that club or that mission. Um, you know, like the um, Boston Ironsides were raising money to go to the Bingham Cup, and so I bought a shirt from them. Um, I bought the the XV Foundation, which does a great job supporting women's rugby in America, was selling T-shirts to help fund the the Women's World Cup run, uh, and so I bought one of those. But other clubs have been really great in in sending stuff. I've got a uh, a shirt from you know actual jersey from Lehigh Valley Hooligans. Nice. Um, they sent me one with the number nine on it, which was I was a scrummy, so that that meant a lot to me. Um, just really cool stuff. Uh, clubs have been really great in supporting this project, and uh, I I could not have asked for for better support from the rugby community. That's great. Uh, I got to ask, as a college professor, are you going to require that your students purchase your book? Because I definitely have No, to. I wish. I wish. Um, <laughs> if I could best. find a way, if I could find a way, you, you can bet I would do it. Because yes. um, you always had that professor, right, uh, yeah. who was like, oh, had, here's the assigned text. He was my ethics that, professor of all yeah. people. Too. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> oh, that's even better. That as a question. He was like, is this ethical that I'm making you do this? Like, I love it. And then he did it anyway, yeah, right? Yeah, you have to. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Um, so, you know, I, if I could find a way to, if I was teaching like a, a sports as anthropology class, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know that I can justify it in a, a freshman <laughs> intro to comp class. If I could find a way, I, I would probably yeah. do it. Yeah, that, I had to ask. Uh, so no, of course. <laughs> Adam, how do, how do people buy your book? Uh, they can go on Amazon. Uh, it's on there under the title, This is Rugby. Uh, it was through an Amazon imprint. So as of right now, it's only through Amazon. We're working on getting it into secondary retailers. 
Uh, but as of right now, it's on Amazon. Uh, if people want to buy a like a signed copy, I'm still selling those through my Venmo, which is Adam Hughes Poetry. Uh, just 25 bucks on there. I'll I'll cover shipping, uh, and I'll I'll sign it and and put a little number in the inside cover as I number those ones that have been autographed. Um, so yeah, the, mostly Amazon, but then also I'll, I'll take some orders on Venmo if people send me their address. Perfect. Yeah, and like I said, I bought mine on Amazon right when it dropped. But um, I, I appreciate want, it. Now that I have you online on the phone, I was going to say like I want to buy a, an autographed copy, so I will Venmo you, and then I'll sure. give, I'll give away the one I bought originally. So I love you know, maybe it. I'd be happy else, to. Yeah, somebody else that can't, you know, maybe can't swing it right now. Um, we'll yep. give it away through the DNVR Twitter. So that that's what I'm going to do. So I'll do that right when I get off the phone with you. Um, and I just want to say, Adam, congrats, man. Congratulations. I you appreciate it. it. Like, I know you said it's hard to kind of sit back, but uh, you should, man. This is a lot of work. I know just from the two times I've talked to you, I, I am sure I only have a small taste of what it took. So um, congratulations. Thank you, you know, from me, from, you know, the rugby community for, for putting in the works to ha- for us to have something like this that we can pass around and share and, you know, give to people that are curious about, like you said, why, why this exists, why people do this. Uh, so I wanted to say congratulations. I wanted to say thank you for doing it. And thank you yeah, for man. your time. I, I always enjoy talking to you. So that's same. And I, I appreciate it. This this project wouldn't be anywhere without, you know, an, an army of people who have supported it, whether through telling their stories or letting me, you know, have a, a platform to to tell the story of the book. And so I, I really appreciate you and, and so many others who have been a part of this journey. Anytime, man. Right. A, a rising tide lifts all boats i'm sure you that's heard right. a lot of people say that in the interview so <laughs> i'll say yeah, it too. definitely thanks so much adam i appreciate it hey, man thanks so much colton all right i hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with author adam hughes i know i certainly did um like i said at the end of the episode i'm going to i already bought another book from him so i have two copies now i will be giving one away i will do a little social media giveaway on the dnvr rugby twitter once i get it so make sure you're following along if you're interested in that getting that book um, and we'll give that one away. So somebody that is interested in reading it, maybe doesn't have the funds right now, got you covered. We'll, we'll give one of those books away. Um, and, and remember, buy his book, Amazon.com. Just search This Is Rugby. Um, he also gave his Venmo out. If you if you Venmo him, he'll autograph a copy for you, send it your way. Uh, so that's what I just did too. Let's go ahead and move into Required Reading. Required Reading is brought to you by Gilbert Rugby. Gilbert is the official rugby qu- equipment supplier of the American Raptors. Visit worldrugbyshop.com to grab all of your Gilbert Rugby gear. Surprise, surprise, the required reading is This is Rugby, the book that Adam and I just talked about for 45 minutes. Grab your copy on Amazon. Um, I can't say enough about it. I really have enjoyed, you know, the the bits and pieces that I've got to read. I read all the stuff about Denver already. And like I said in the interview, I'm looking forward to ripping through it um, when I get some more time. Maybe in Aspen, I'll have a little bit of free time. Uh, so again, get this book. I, I'll link the Amazon link, whatever, in the podcast description and the article that houses this podcast. And then next week, I promise to come to you with some fresh required reading material. Um, but I wanted to make sure we talked about this again since we just talked about it for 45 minutes. Let's go to move into Stat of the Week. Stat of the Week is presented by Catapult. Catapult is committed to making performance technology available to athletes at all levels, whether it's the biggest teams and organizations in world sport or amateur rugby players. Catapult helps monitor performance like the pros. For more information, visit catapultsports.com. So, since the football season, NFL is getting started uh, today as I'm recording this. The first game kicks off in four hours. 
thought I'd dive into a little bit of fantasy football stats. I know I had a couple of fantasy football drafts in the last week or two. Got three teams, uh, which is about my limit. Uh, I need to dial it back down to one or two so I can really give it my full effort. But rolling with three teams this year, so I thought, hey, you know, let's let's look up some fantasy football stats. Uh, so over 40 million people played fantasy football in 2021. Um, would you think about like how, you know, a lot of people just play for fun. A lot of people are playing for some money. That's a lot of money, you know, being passed back and forth over fantasy football, something that you really have no control over. It's really a crapshoot. Uh, you just go off a gut feel. Sometimes you forget to set your lineup and, and it kills it. Um, sometimes you, you forget to set your lineup and everyone's hurt except your kicker and you still win. Uh, so it's a crazy amount of, you know, crazy number of people playing fo- fantasy football. I'm sure a lot of those people aren't crazy big football fans. Gets to thinking. I know there's a lot of different like sectors of fantasy rugby out there. Um, I know there's a couple different podcasts and stuff dedicated to it here. Um, but I wonder if rugby ever gets to a point where, you know, this is a tool to to recruit more fans or get people to half pay attention. Um, I because I'm not because to be completely honest, I'm not even sure how fantasy rugby works right now. Like I said, I know there's a couple different uh, podcasts and, and, and blogs and stuff dedicated to it. Maybe I should reach out to one of them and see how they go about it. Um, but I think it would be kind of fun, especially like an MLR one. That would be, you know, something that makes the season a little bit more enjoyable because it definitely, I know last year especially, uh, there was some some moments of like the, you were slogging through the season, right? And that happens in any sport. Uh, and maybe fantasy rugby would help us, you know, keep us a little bit more engaged. Um, and with how accessible like these rugby players are, it might actually be kind of fun to, you know, go back and forth with them about, their fantasy performance and whatnot. Um, so be interested to see as MLR continues to grow, and obviously gambling is a big part of that as well. Um, the introduction of gambling and fantasy sports and fantasy rugby um, is something that I'm certainly interested in as we as we keep moving forward. Let's go ahead and close the show with The Loop. First Bank is the official banking partner of Infinity Park. They believe in banking for good, doing their best to do right by their customers, communities, and employees. Banking for good, member FDIC. Follow along with everything we've got going on at DNVR Rugby on Twitter at DNVR underscore rugby and at Colton Strickler. Like I talked about many times throughout this podcast, going to give away one of Adam's books. So if you're interested in, you know, maybe getting your hands on a free copy of Adam's book, make sure you're following along on Twitter. Um, and once I get that copy mailed to me, we'll go ahead and uh, give it away. Uh, still obviously working on that Sean Clark piece. I saw him at training the other day. He's back with the Raptors. Um, I was like, uh, I'm still working on that, man, I promise. just haven't had a lot of time to write these last couple of weeks. Uh, but I am making progress. At, at this point, you know, it's been a couple of months already. Um, the, it's kind of changing a little bit. But I'm glad he's back, the Raptors. Um, I think I can make it better than I would have been able to make it before. So stick along with, you know, everything we've got going on. I really do appreciate everybody that's following. We keep inching closer and closer to 1,000 followers. That's a number we're hoping to hit by New Year's. Uh, and that's the show for the week. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you had a great week. I hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy all the games this weekend. I'll catch you all back here next Friday as I'm on my way up to Aspen. Yeah.